Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Thanks for joining us for episode 165 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about something that we hinted about back in episode 162, the vegan agenda, the new, and I'm putting this in quotes, documentary, game changers, and what we think is up with the recent resurgence of plant-based products and propaganda. Yes, as well as sharing how meat can be medicine, my up-to-date take on the keto carnivore approach, sustainable meat consumption, and whether you can be a compassionate omnivore, and so much more. So it seems like we're always due for these, Becky. (laughs) We like put on the blinders, and then the threshold just hits, and we we have to hit, you know, come with the facts again. So here we are. Yep. It's it's like clockwork. It really is. Um, let's, before we dive in, um, just give some updates since we are recording and releasing this very closely. Um, we'll be releasing this tomorrow morning, I think. Um, let's just give a quick update on Thanksgiving and how that all went and anything else you want to tell listeners before we jump in. Sure. So last week I officially closed off the 2019 anti-anxiety diet cookbook book tour. Uh, so that was amazing. I have a lot of irons in the fire, if you will, for 2020. So you guys stay tuned. I'm sure I'll be sharing all of that in the next coming weeks, probably in January or so. I think the first event I'll do is going to be in March. So I'm giving myself a little reboot (laughs) for my, uh, you know, antisocial self that needs to just reset and, um, things will be amazing for 2020. We'll be traveling more into the Northeast, uh, the Southeast and a couple other pockets in the Midwest. So stay tuned for that. And, uh, with Thanksgiving, as I mentioned to you guys, I hosted family, but I wasn't planning on cooking. I wanted to get a reservation at a farm to table restaurant. I was kind of again in reset mode, but I ended up cooking in the house. And it's been so much fun in the new home. And we put up a playground for Stella and the two cousins. So that was a blast. I made all of the things. (laughs) It was supposed to stay super simple, but there was a promotion with ButcherBox and I got (laughs) turkey. So I re-enrolled. I'm that person. (laughs) I re-enrolled after like a stagnant account for my free turkey and uh, was like, okay guys, it's free. I can do this. But you know what I did? I spatchcocked it, uh, which was, I've never done that to chickens either. Have you done that, Becky, where you cut the spine out? I have not. And I don't think Byron has either. He's usually our our guy for breaking down (laughs) birds, but I don't think we we have. How did that end up? How'd it go? It was amazing. So usually turkey, I'm very intimidated by because you know, like the, the joints, the armpits, those areas never get cooked and their juices don't run clear when the breast is getting dried out. And, you know, it's so difficult to bring it up to a uniform te- uh, temperature. So 
by spatchcocking, what you do is you take poultry shears uh, and you cut up the spine. Then you also cut out the wishbone and then you flip it on the breast side. And Brady had to break the breastbone because I didn't have enough leverage with mm-hmm. our countertop. But I did all of the like, you know, bone removal. I, I saw you in there on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was awesome. So then, you know, that whole cavity is spread out. So it's significantly uh, more distributed heat. You get a nice brown, crispy skin. Uh, cooking temperature is able to be brought up higher and to do a quicker process overall. I think overall, I, it was maybe an hour and 45 minutes or something. And it was like a 17 pound burn. Okay. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Maybe two and a half hours because okay. I brought it down to like 350. And then of course was sharing oven space with all the sure. other things. So Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that sounds way better than the four or five hours that it usually takes at our house. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And so we made a lot of things from the recipe roundup. Mm-hmm. And so for listeners, these are all great ideas to still keep in mind through the holiday season, the month of December. I did the bacon wrapped butternut squash as my starter and I ended up frying sage leaves. So I just in the cast iron pan used a little bit of avocado oil and through under really high heat, like high flame sage, just dry sage leaves, and then did mal done really coarse salt on top. And that was fantastic. Then we did the cauliflower chowder, which I made the night before, which was a great hack. Good move. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> that up and garnished it and gave everyone a bowl of chowder as I was getting all the rest of the things together and resting the bird. I did delicata squash with massage lacinato kale and rustic balsamic vinaigrette, pomegranate seeds, pepitas, and goat cheese, the umi plum vinegar brussels in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, and then just did a lot of, you know, butter, fresh herbs, made a gravy with the organs, made bone broth with the neck and the carcass. I did cream and strawberries. My brother made fun of me when everyone was eating tiny pies, but that was the one thing <laughs> I found a recipe for bacon bourbon pecan pie. It's like a, some paleo blog. I forget if I make it, I'll totally let you guys know and give it credit, but I was just overwhelmed. So I was like, you know what? I'm just buying pies from a local bakery that are not gluten-free, not anything that I'm going to eat anyway. And I made fresh whipped cream and ate strawberries and I was happy. That sounds Perfect. Yeah, absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, dry farm wines and uh, apple slices with raw brie and unfiltered CBD honey and thyme as a dessert, like two hours after with game time, and that was a you know decadent treat too. Oh my gosh, love it! That sounds amazing. Yeah, and we have our detox kicking off tomorrow. So yes. Those of you- on your drive into work. I am going to be uploading the archive to the YouTube channel. I also will be live streaming to Facebook. So you can check that out as well. Super excited. Uh, Becky and I will be doing the 10 day detox with you guys. And we were talking today earlier and it's like every time I always tell clients, every time you do a detox, you think of one thing that you want to keep in and then one thing that you want to keep out or like modify, you know, maybe it's the way you source your vegetables, or maybe it's, you know, transitioning fully to grass-fed pasture raised or what have you. But I was telling Becky, I was like, holy cow, I think this is like my mm, 20 plus for sure something detox. And I just have to work. I just have to pull out dairy again. Like dairy comes in during the holidays (laughs) pretty hard. And wine, of course. It's like wine and dairy. And I was teasing with Becky. I was like, yeah, like back in the day, back in 2009, 2010, when I was starting to do these detoxes, it would be like, oh, well, I guess I can't have that kind bar or 
products that as will come full circle today, you know, you through the food halo and marketing effect, you, you find reasoning and, you know, you, you create a, a place in your diet. And as I love to say, we just all need to get back to whole real foods and start seeing through these chemical shit storms. So I'm so excited to kick off the detox. I think it's going to create mindfulness for everyone, a good reset button for inflammation and gut restoration and, our livers are all going to love us uh, yes. by mid-December. <laughs> yep. We're super excited to get started. Byron actually meal prepped while I was working today and did a soup that incorporated like all things detox. But like you said, it's something we would make on a normal, you know, weeknight anyway. Um, so he did like a bone broth base with grass-fed beef and kind of like an egg drop soup situation, um, with cabbage and cauliflower and all of the detox supporting cruciferous veggies and onions and garlic and all of those good things. Um, and it's delicious. It's something I would eat, you know, normally, even if we weren't doing a detox, but we were putting together our, um, our meal prep list for the week. And he's like, this is what we do anyway. I don't see how it's different. It's just the wine. <laughs> but there is, there is. I think that it's fun in the sense that there's little things that sure. you yeah. forget about or let go or just don't maintain, you know, as a regular appearance in your repertoire or whatnot. Like I was pulling out chia seeds and I was like, I'm going to make yeah, a chia yeah, pudding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had a chia pudding in I think like six months minimum, if not almost a year. I don't know. Um, see vegetables, you know, there's just certain totally. things that I think yep. are so fun. And that's, what's neat is like, so maybe in your soup, it would be the same, but what, when you're doing the tended detox, you're going to be like, okay, now how can I boost it a level higher? <laughs> and, you know, not only will I have shallots and garlic, I am going to, you know, chop some scallions on top for the ileums. And so it's a really cool way to just reharness and focus on both the removal of whatever that would be, as well as the abundance as just a great way to stay focused and honor and nourish your body. Totally. And do we still have some detox packs left for listeners who haven't jumped in? We had uh, 17. Okay. So So get on it, guys. The code is detox2019 and I've left that to run through midnight. So if you're listening the day this airs, you have until midnight to pick those up. Um, Also a reminder, we um, have our Black Friday slash Cyber Monday, (laughs) just the whole weekend. It all rolls into one at this point. Um, (laughs) Those deals are still going on for our virtual ketosis groups. That's $50 off the group that starts January 8th as well as the adrenal rehab program, which is an ongoing program you can do anytime, but 50 bucks off both of those. And then we were also doing 20% off um, some of our top supplements. So calm and clear, super turmeric and EPA DHA. As long as we have some left, we'll keep doing that deal until midnight. Absolutely. So take advantage of those things. That's the highest discount in supplements. So not a common thing. Won't come for another year likely. And the programs, the keto class is most definitely going to sell out. So a great thing to sign up for, for accountability. It's 12 weeks. It's really functional medicine meets keto. We're going to start talking about it a lot again, but let's get into today's episode. I'll include all the codes, everything you need in the show notes, like I always do. Um, So yes, game changers. Um, Like we said, this is something that kind of crops up. There seems to be a bit of a cyclical nature. I don't know if it's every year or every year and a half or what it is, but every year or so at this point, um, something comes out. And, and I think it's important to note that, 
you know, while this is a new film, it's not like there was some new study or a major break in nutritional science that coincides that that is shifting, you know, the way that we should be eating. It's just kind of like that time again. Yes. And unlike Becky, who put herself to the mercy of watching this <laughs> on a sleepless night, thinking that it would help her fall asleep, you know, that's, it did finally at the end. <laughs> merit, um, I was not able to subject myself to even watch a part of it, nor a rebuttal from some of my favorite peers out there, which we'll give you guys their links and resources as well. Yes. But I want to let you know past episodes in which we've covered the topic of the vegan diet, as well as, you know, nutrient deficiencies. And we passed really debunked what the health, I believe, or was it called what the hell? It was called what the health. It's called what the health, but we called our episode what the hell, because we're what the hell? And, that was <laughs> and pretty much that went like point by point breaking down that documentary. And we could have done that for today, but I just felt I was tired. I was like, yeah. whatever. Um, episode 43 is transitioning from vegan where Becky and I share our personal experiences. Episode 51 is what the hell, the take on what the health documentary episode 162, most recently in our healthy holidays gift guide, which definitely check that out. If you have not yet, I ranted about a, we started to talk about beyond burger and game changers as a concept. And we, uh, were sharing, I was sharing my experience with meeting the CEO of PETA, which was a delight. So check that out as well. <laughs> oh my gosh. And before we go there, I can tell it's going to be a fun episode already. Uh, before we go there, let's just have a quick word from our opening sponsor, Harper and Soul. Yes. So Harper and Soul Provisions provide a crunchy, salty, anti-inflammatory with a snack, mind you, with a subtle natural sweetness while maintaining low carb. I love their cardamom coconut. That is my favorite. And Stella is in love with their rosemary maple. I have right now on my desk the turmeric cracked pepper, and they also have a ginger snap flavor. All four are divine complex and really on a level of like foodie as far as the flavor characteristics. They support blood sugar balance, satiety, while providing whole food ingredients. I love that they use egg white to bind their flavor. So that also adds some protein to boot without any, you know, gunky additives and, you know, natural flavors. I'm using air quotes. So all real food, non-GMO, always free of gluten, grains, dairy, soy, corn, highly processed oils, refined sugars, just all good things. Check out harperandsoulprovisions.com and use the code ALLY15. When you use ALLY, all in caps, 15, you'll get 15% off your orders of two bags or larger. And you can use these nut blends in a breakfast bowl as a topping on a salad. Uh, I like to use them as a base for a quiche or holiday, like kind of pie crust. And I just like to snack on them straight up as is. So harperandsoulprovisions.com. Use the code ALLY15. So, so good. We snagged a couple of bags for the drive back from Austin last week, and they were definitely gone by the time we got home. Mostly Byron's doing, but... <laughs> I also, yeah, I helped a little bit. Um, I watched one of Jess's Instagram. I think somehow I got into her Instagram highlights or something of how she makes the turmeric infused honey. And it's like uh -huh. quite a process. Yeah. Um, pretty amazing. Or maybe she infuses it or maybe it's maple. 
think no, it's maple. Or okay. It's fresh turmeric root. Okay. Instead of like, you know, me- mixing in organic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Turmeric fresh turmeric root. And then she like dehydrates it. And then uh, there's a whole, yeah, we'll have to share that. I'll pretty, go check it out and film it and share it with you guys. <laughs> pretty amazing snacks. But anyway, um, so let's jump into today's topic. Like Allie said, we're not going to do the whole point by point rebuttal because there's some great ones out there. And honestly, the movie was really hard <laughs> to watch and I could go point by point for sure. But since other people have already done their due diligence and done the research and done the work, I'll just direct you to the ones that I found to be um, most helpful. So like Ali said, I watched this at like 3am because I couldn't fall back asleep. And (laughs) I was taking a little bit of notes, but not really kind of in and out. Uh, But Ryan Lowry did a great um, debunk. Joe Rogan and Chris Kresser did a full like almost three hour podcast. And Chris Kresser's got really good, extensive show notes over on his page. So I'll just link to what I found to be helpful. And then um, Mike Mutzel, Metabolic Mike, also did a point by point, I think, YouTube video that we watched a couple minutes of at least um, just to kind of get a feel. Um, So those are all great resources of people who really know their stuff and go through and debunk some of the science. So we're just going to have some fun, I think, with this. And you know, tear it apart in our own way. <laughs> yes. So I think when we get into funding, it was really interesting. My mom had a high calcification score recently. So she's going in for a cardiac stress test this week, I believe. And she was telling me, oh, I have this cool new, uh, you know, cardiologist. And, you know, he was kind of talking about lower meat. So I told him, you know, my daughter won't let me do that. And Nance, <laughs> she's like going on. <laughs> like, yeah, he's got this um this Ornish Dean Ornish program. Oh gosh. And um you know, this is a type of program that of course like you buy into a license and then there's, you know, monetization within it. And even like Dr. Dean Ornish who his big claim to fame is that there was a 300% I believe improved vascular function from following the Ornish protocol. It was Kind of in a sense, a little bit like the Ansel Keys, where he collected data from 35 people, I believe it was, uh, or no, 41 men, and then only 35 people did he collect the end data on or publish. Mm. So it's like, hmm, it's already a small population, but then you're pulling out more than 10%, and then, you know, XYZ. Um, so really small, almost like opt ad observational. Uh, Yes, it was intervention based, but really hard to tell on on something like clogged arteries and heart attack, especially when there's multiple influence. For instance, the Ornish protocol includes meditation and you know cardiovascular exercise and and uh, time restricted eating to some level, and so have you. And so it's hard to isolate. Is that because of low fat? Is that because of X Y Z? And is it even information that's valuable with such a small? population. Totally. And I think that's something that this film did was kind of cherry pick. And that's something that, you know, a lot of us do to our benefit. Um, and we could even be guilty of it if we're not careful um, of cherry picking data and kind of throwing out, you know, stuff that's not relevant or doesn't prove our hypothesis and whatnot. And these films tend to do that really, really well, where they make these like sexy charts and graphics and throw it in your face or, um, I remember in the, what the health 
movie, they had a visual of like cigarettes in a frying pan and equated it to meat or bacon or something. Um, and right. to the untrained eye, this stuff can be super appealing. Totally. I, I, I can't agree more. It's just really, I don't know. It, it's wild. I, I, I'm just shocked and like appalled though. I'm, every time I hear someone sensible like my mom and then she mm-hmm. said the next thing was, so he recommend I watch this movie. Oh. Oh. It couldn't have been, you know, more perfect timing. And I was just like, okay. And, and like two of the most, what I've heard as far as the two studies that are talked about the most or the biggest like shock and awe, both of them, the erectile and the mm-hmm. blood draw studies were both for three participants. Is that yeah. correct? I don't even, you can't call them studies. Like it was an experiment done in the context of a movie and we don't know what they showed us and what they didn't, you know? Um, it's not like they were peer reviewed. It's not like they actually published their data or anything. So I'm sure we'll, we'll dig into both of those, but I kind of found them both hilarious. Yeah. No, I don't think they're the big. There's, there, there were three. <laughs> That's all. I, I looked at my mom and I, she's like, so, you know, and I, I said, well, I'm a little disappointed that your cardiologist recommended this mm-hmm. movie. Because anyone that has any background of, you know, investigative research or, or as a clinician or has any interest in science would want to dig deeper on what was presented. And at that point they would understand, you know, that, that, that it's a really superficial forced data point and, and, and nothing of sub- substance really. So it, that was like, Oh, I'm kind of nervous, mom. Sorry. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And, uh, I mean, that was one of the big things that I thought was interesting and, and that I want to bring to light was that James Cameron, like known director, right? And his wife, his wife is a known vegan and she's starting a chain of vegan schools and they are part of a 140 million joint investment partnership, uh, Verdient Foods, which is a pea protein company. Yep. So they definitely have a little bit of a vested interest in <laughs> selling their product. And, and I have, I've had clients after watching this movie, like forward me different pea proteins and want to switch from like our whey or collagen to them. I'm like, no, don't fall for it. And that's one of those classic things. Like you can look at an amino acid profile, which again, Chris Cresser, a lot of these guys yep. have, and yep. we've talked about, you know, beta alanine and XYZ and whatnot. But even beyond looking at an amino acid profile and saying that there's a higher bioavailability of cow's milk, which there is as far as protein compared to animal protein, uh, you know, protein based on like the peanut butter study they did or XYZ, there's compounds that are unique to animal products like immunoglobulins. Like you can't get immunoglobulins in a non-animal based product. So when you're taking a non-denatured grass-fed whey, you're actually supporting your secretory IgA in a way that you cannot without actually giving yourself immunoglobulins. You're actually supporting your immune system's ability to increase its total IgG score. Its whole surveillance mechanism is being boosted by a biological compound. And then, you know, when we're looking at even things like glutathione capacity, uh, CLAs, conjugated linoleic acids, you know, these are only available through the conversion of ALA when a ruminant consumes the grass and converts that ALA into CLA. So a lot of these nutrients, aside from the apples to apples comparison, are a unique part of the story of what makes something health supporting and you know a, a unique attribute uh, that really can't be counterparted by a vegetarian 
whole food, nonetheless, a processed chemical shitstorm. Totally. And it's like um, vegans asking for a collagen substitute. And it's like, well, collagen is derived from hide of animals. So mm-hmm. there is no substitute. Like it's just like, not on. possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Where are we going to go? Funding aside, um, I think just one of my biggest bones to pick, like with the entire film, was um, you know the evidence that was presented was really just anecdotal. Like it follows these athletes who supposedly ate vegan for a timestamp unknown, which I learned um, kind of listening to some of these debunks that a lot of them weren't actually vegan during the time of the film, and yada yada just a movie, right? It's, you know, cinematic and and they can really be eating anything they want behind the scenes. So we don't really know what they were doing, but, um, the premise is they ate vegan and they performed better period. And I just think there's so much more to that, you know, when it comes to performance. Yeah. It was a masculinity approach Uh from what I heard. Dying. We we were talking in an Uber (laughs) about the erect. Oh my God. (laughs) We were, yeah. And I was like, um, we're not servos. Like, I am a mother. No, I think we sounded yeah. smart enough that he was like, oh, they're medical professionals. Sure, but, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And talk about, again, I didn't see it, but like athlete erection. Mm-hmm. Like, what they're like calling to. And I can just imagine the, you know, cinematic, like the, the approach of the lights and the sound and the you know, kind of delivery. Um, and you think of some of the athletes, I mean, malnutrition is one of the biggest drivers of injury in athletics and also maintaining them on, you know, the injury list or getting them Mm -hmm. off the field. And Aaron Foster, for instance, you know, he was the really known back in yeah, early 2000s, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and being in Houston, there was a cardiologist, uh, Dr. Baxter, I can't think of his first name, I think Monk, I don't know, but he was a vegan cardiologist. So I was always like the like paleo dietitian trying to kind of counterpart him. And that would be what people would say, well, Aaron Foster. And, you know, he retired mid-season in 2016 at the age of 30 because he had lingering injuries. And DeAndre Hopkins, also a Texan, I don't know if they collaborated in their vegan approach, mm-hmm. but all of last year's season was on the end injury reserve, uh, didn't play a game. So, or didn't play every game, excuse me, in the season. So it's, it's torn ligaments. Um, you know, there's bone issues, there's vitamin D deficiencies, there's issues with immune function from vitamin A, zinc, you name it. And, um, you know, we're not getting that repletion of the bioavailable nutrients when we're eating these replacement protein substitutes. Totally. And I think, you know, one of the things um, in the film that could have been going on and and something that I experienced personally myself when I went vegan, you kind of have this little bit of a sweet spot of maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years of, yeah, if you went from a processed diet or a lot of the guys in the film were talking about how they were eating like Chick-fil-A or Popeye's or whatever, if you went from doing that to any diet change, honestly, um, that includes more real whole foods, you're probably going to get at least a temporary benefit, but it's the longevity piece of the puzzle. And like you said, the tissue repair piece of the puzzle that I think is probably going to take most of these guys out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, creatine from you know, so many more essential nutrients for athletes that just you get in meat. So I, yeah, I think it's really interesting. So let's let's unpack some of the focus nutrients. We've done this in a couple episodes, but those that would be found typically deficient in vegetarians or, you know, for listeners that are dealing with a family member. Again, Becky and I both share our personal story and I believe it's episode 42. I think it's 42. I wrote 43, but it's 42 transitioning into vegan. And uh, again, I I like to be open-minded. I've worked with so many individuals that I just really see a vital component of animal consumption. So yes, this is coming in a personal biased approach because I feel that incorporation of animal product healed and likely saved my life. And I don't say that lightly, you know, all of my work within the anti-anxiety diet, when people ask me, could you do this vegetarian? My answer is usually well, you most definitely need to incorporate egg yolks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would really prefer that you incorporate fish so that you can get collagen and those types of things. And why? Why are you vegetarian and how can we work around that? Because it's just deeper than the, the classic nutrients. But let's go through some of those first, Becky, and then totally. we'll, we'll just some new stuff. Yeah. And the thing I just need to call out to you, Allie, they said something in the film that I was like, oh my God, what's wrong with these people? Um, at one point they go, well, I was surprised to learn that all protein originates in plants and cows, pigs, chickens, turns out are just the middlemen. And they carried this argument of them being the middlemen for all of these different nutrients that are more bioavailable in animal. They carried it as if it were a bad thing throughout the entire film, um, from B12 to iron. So we'll unpack some of those, but it just like, it drove me nuts. I'm like, that's the best thing about these animal products is that they're more nutrient dense because they are the middlemen. We can't yeah, eat they grass. Take, they take the, the brunt of the anti-nutrients uh-huh. Uh-huh. for us. Right. And then they make more available nutrients that are less distressing for us to use in our body. That's like saying that the sun originates everything and uh-huh. then plants are the carrier. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we should eat the sun. Like, I don't know. Those, what are they? Airitarians, sanitarians, people who drink, breathe air, breatharians. Yes. Yeah. Kind yeah. of asinine, but you know, mm-hmm. who am I to say? Um, let's start off. Let's kick off with B12 because I think this is a big one that we definitely highlighted this back in episode 42. And I know that I experienced a pretty severe B12 deficiency. I still wish I had run my micronutrient panel when I was full vegan. I think I was eating eggs and fish by the time that you got to me. Um, and I ran a panel and I was still functionally deficient in B12. So who knows where I was before? Um, but let's talk about B12 and, um, that is a nutrient that they did highlight in the film and they had some kind of silly workaround, but I won't get into it. <laughs> I mean, my argument used to be, oh, well, my gut bacteria can mm-hmm. produce. Right. Well. Right. And then, you know, if I'm eating like dirt on my produce, that that's going to help I as think well. That was the argument. They were like dirt and water, um, but we don't have dirty, you know, produce anymore. So you're not getting it. It's like, well, that's not quite accurate. Right. Or have you been to a farmer's market? Oh mm-hmm. no, because want everyone to eat a chemical shitstorm called Beyond Burger, which has 32 quote unquote plants or industrialized products that now you can't feed to the cows because people are eating grass fed. So you're looking for someone else to feed it to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, so, you know, B12 is really essential. It's, it's thought of as the one quote unquote vitamin that is essential from animal products. It plays a big role with our red blood cells. So it can drive anemia when B12 is deficient in the body. We see it as a huge neurological and DNA influencer. So we can see that our uh, body can have issues with mood, concentration, focus. We can have issues with tingling sensation or actual nerve pains uh, like plucking in the nervous system or uh, muscle spasms, constipation, because that includes, of course, the involuntary pumping of our enteric nervous system. And uh, we can also see an impact with the B12 on methylation, uh, which really regulates inflammatory process and, and what have you. So it's a very commonly found deficiency with vegetarians. I was tested for serum B12, and that was clinically low in addition to ferritin, which I talk about all the time because my ferritin was at a two <laughs> when I was tested after a stint of being raw vegan following a couple of years of a vegan diet. And that was with like a serum test, like what's floating through your blood vessels. Becky's referring to the micronutrient test uh, through SpectraCell, which is looking at intracellular capacity, even more sensitive. Um, so and then we can see, just because I'm talking about B12, often people that are supplementing with B12 might have high serum levels of B12 um, because, you know, like a lot of my formulas, for instance, Calm and Clear, the Multi-Avail, uh, the Multi-Avail Mama, the Multi-Defense, uh, B-Complex, and a bunch more actually have B12 in them. A lot of people can still be clinically low in B vitamins because of the ability of their receptor sites to use that nutrient and also their genetics to predispose them on a biological pathway of activating or absorbing that nutrient. So for like an MTRR person for B12, they may have to take the hydroxyadenosyl and they may show high B12 in their blood, but because they're having issues with methylating the B12, they may show high B12 in their serum, but be functionally low. Got it. So genetics Okay. <laughs> yep. I'm making it more complicated, but yeah, that micronutrient panel is a really good place to start. If you are someone who's transitioning from vegan, if you have a family member who is hell bent on staying vegan or vegetarian, it's at least a way to kind of preempt some of the damage because B12 deficiency can cause irreversible neurological damage. So that's not something to mess around with. Yeah. So if you're dealing with any of those mm -hmm. neurological concerns like the neuropathy yeah. or the tingling or, you know, even chronic constipation to be worth trying uh, the naturally nourished B12 boost. Totally. This is sublingual, so it goes under the tongue. You can absorb that right into your capillaries. So it bypasses the liver, uh, great bioavailability. And, um, just again, saying out loud, I'm never concerned when someone's doctor says, Oh, your B12 is, I'm using our uh -uh. quotes too high. <laughs> As a very safe, higher capacity, um, very low toxicity or no known toxic um, impact. So I'm not worried about high serum. It's something that's water soluble. You're going to pee it out and likely your body burns through B vitamins with stress and energy metabolism. You'd likely benefit from more. Totally. I have to undo like that work all the time where somebody took them off all their B12 
So yeah. it's like, stop the it. The only Please concern is stop. if I know for well then. So, you know, if it's the synthetic cheapo stuff that you'll find through most supplements at your grocery store, including Whole Foods and whatnot, then you can worry about excess. But if it's a methylated form, anything that's found within my line, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Totally. And then beyond B12, um, you mentioned ferritin. So let's just talk a little bit more about iron and maybe about some of the concerns of um, bioavailability and oxalates that might be preventing iron iron absorption when we're talking plant-based iron. Yeah. So, you know, we're with all those minerals. So we're talking about like zinc, calcium, iron, these divalent or like plus two charge minerals. They often have a lot of anti-nutrient within their structure. Oxalates are one form. Um, and these create basically like these salts, if you will, uh, crystal like formations, which block the absorption of that mineral itself. And uh, this is definitely concerning when we're looking at consumption of foods that are rich in, like often spinach, for instance. Uh, Spinach is one that can be high in oxalic acid. And so if you're eating spinach for iron, you're not going to be able to absorb that iron. And then it takes it a step further, yes, of it's a non-heme form. So it's in a ferric form, which then has to have vitamin C added to it to to convert that ferric into ferrous and still non-heme is much less bioavailable than a heme form. And heme just means like from red blood, basically, uh, from animal foods. So this could be found in salmon or near, we think of red meat as a really rich form. So all of these minerals in general, the best form of any mineral is going to be from an animal product because yes, that animal has done the work for us. And in that sense, its digestive tract has taken the impact of the lectins, of the oxalates, of the uh, solanine, or the varied forms of pro-inflammatory anti-nutrients or plant-defending chemical structures, and has dealt with the, the blunt effect of that, and now has that bioavailable mineral or nutrient B vitamin, mind you, without that complication for the, the, the consumer. Yes. So middlemen as a good thing. (laughs) Um, All right. Let's pick maybe one more that we see um, a big concern for deficiency for in um, vegan and vegetarian populations. So I think another confused one is like the whole vitamin A thing. There's, you know, pro vitamin A, and then there's, you know, your active form from the retinoic acid or retinol um, that's activated vitamin A, as many people will call it. And a lot of people going back to kind of SNPs again, or these genetic impacts, like I was saying with B12, for instance, a lot of people have SNPs on their ability to convert carotenoids or the beta carotene in your like orange flesh produce into a bioavailable vitamin A. So we need a combination of both the beta carotene in its whole plant structure, as well as the retinol form from ruminants. Um, so again, <laughs> these middlemen make this available activated form of a nutrient, just like it'd be very comparable to the heme versus non-heme when we're looking at iron. Sure. Um, awesome. And then beyond that, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the constituents that are like only found in meat that we were alluding to. So not just things that we could potentially get from plants. You'd have to eat so many plants. And again, the anti-nutrients would likely block absorption of a lot of that, you know, in order to get the same amount of iron or the same amount of vitamin A. But what about the stuff that's just in meat? Yeah. So, I mean, some of my favorite ones that I think of are collagen and gelatin. 
And, you know, these have such a support for our connective tissue, which includes hair, skin, nails, joints, ligaments, tendons, <laughs> bone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we also think of collagen as great support for gut integrity within the connective tissue world. So uh, reducing food sensitivities, supporting the gut tissue lining, reducing gut inflammation, especially with the gelatin, which is more gelatinous, if you will, right? That oopy goopy delivery helps to support the epithelial lining, the tender tissue. Uh, We see these to also be fantastic as far as sources of glycine. So glycine and proline are amino acids that are in gelatin, but also in just like skin and bone sources. So like pork rinds are a great source uh, or eating your bone in skin on chicken breast. Glycine is fantastic as an amino acid to support anxiolytic effect or, you know, anxiety reduction. Glycine also has been shown to support a balance in the body with amino acids of methionine. So I'm not sure, did the movie get into anti-methionine stuff? Like I know David Wolf, who's a known vegan, would always talk about methionine toxicity. I don't recall that it covered that at all. Um, I could have just dozed off for a second. Again, I found the movie kind of boring (laughs) and it was like 3 a.m., but I don't recall actually them getting into that at all. I haven't seen that in any of the like rebuttal Mm -mm, stuff. Me neither. One of the known, like, you know, maybe because they couldn't debunk it. Right. It's a broken argument like most of the others. But yeah, so methionine is usually like an anti-meat argument, but this is really seen as a concern with high amounts of uh, meat fibers from muscle and really getting, not having substantial amounts of skin cartilage, uh, bone as well, as well as like organs and other varied tissue. So when you're like braising meats and you're doing things that are like bone in skin on, uh, you're going to be getting more of the essential nutrients. And this comes into that snout to tail philosophy that I really take in. I had, I had put out a quote on Instagram. Oh no, no, I'm going to have to find it. I'll I'll find it and read it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because I was just, I, 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 every time I go to whole foods, I'm getting so frustrated with all Mm -hmm. these product, just not whole foods. And like, how are people being duped by this? I'm just, where are the blinders being delivered to and, and how and why, where, where are we in this moment of nutritional science? Anyway, um, and so people, people in the quote said, you know, well, but eating animal isn't necessary though. It's just that we don't need to eat these processed products. And I was like, no, I do feel that eating mm-hmm. animal is actually necessary. And and no, I am a proponent of snout to tail only. And no, I do feel that you should eat sustainable local ranched animal product. And that's actually an integrity stance that I take. I will not be found ever in my life eating bullshit Kofa meat. Like I'm not going to be seen with a freaking Slim Jim or Tyson chicken, or that's not real food. And I will not put that in my body, but I'm also not going to back down anymore about saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can take this piece of no processed ingredients, but meat isn't essential because I really feel that meat is an essential component of optimal eating and healing the body. There's just too many therapeutic compounds. And like we said, you can't mimic IgA. You can't mimic immunoglobulins. You can't mimic collagen and gelatin, and you can't provide some of these 
nutrients that help to create balance in a current stressed individual. Totally. And I think I kept coming back to that during the film, no matter what kind of argument they were making, it's like, why is the only argument for the vegan agenda to completely opt out of this system, right? Yeah, we can agree the system is fucked. It's broken, right? The food system's a mess. We're not eating, you know, CAFO meat either. Um, but why is the only option not to eat it at all and to opt out of this system that, you know, has so much potential to heal our bodies and also heal our land from an agricultural perspective? Yeah. We'll unpack a little bit of that in yes, a moment. We will. I found your quote. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, sure. Okay. So you said, it's totally mind-blowing to me and transparent how the food companies and pharma are clinging on to vegan and vegetarians for survival. Real food heals. When you remove animal from the diet and argue that carbs don't matter, you rely on more chemical shitstorm food, you need more medicine, you centralize production and reduce sustainability. Yep. That's what I feel. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about keto carnivore yeah, before we yeah, yeah. our mid-roll sponsor. And then we'll talk a little bit to you guys about sustainability and then just kind of, you know, incorporating balance within your day-to-day approach. Totally. So with keto carnivore, Allie, I know we've addressed this on, um, you know, several different podcasts at this point. Um, and I think one thing that we should kind of unpack a little bit is how the carnivore movement can get, and we're not pointing fingers or anything. We can, if you want to, but we're not pointing fingers. I think it can get though, just as, um, kind of demonizing or, or polarized as the vegan argument where it's like, no, this is the only way. And, and I just don't think that there's a place for that. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to anytime we see something myopic and we see one answer and we, again, I use the term blinders, but we close our mind to something and we create something as the way that opens up this opportunity for this whole doctor and creates disconnect where we stop being investigative within our bodies. We start to numb out or dumb down intuition and we get into extremes and, and also we create uh, judgment and, and there's some like latitude of emotions that get slung. And so that's been, I, I think I've used so many times Danny Vega as an example of someone who's so amazing in the sense that he's done such a positive, I think, stride for the carnivore movement. I think that the carnivore approach to eating is very nutrient dense. I think it is very therapeutic. I use in my clinic, like a six week carnivore keto carnivore reset for autoimmune flares and, you know, inflammatory gut distress. And we talked about that in, in an episode when we talked about what was it in, in defensive plants or something like that. When we talked about, uh, the, um, anti-leptin, what's his name? Uh, Dr. Gundry, Dr. Gundry's book, right. When we were talking about leptins and whatnot and, and kind of how this pendulum can swing. Right. And so what's concerning to me is when I see people, that are like vegan bashing on how people look like their appearance is malnourished or, you know, their sperm count is going to be so low, or we're actually getting in these, uh, I don't know what the word is other than just like immature judgmental yeah, bullying. Like, bullying. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and that's frustrating to me. I don't think that we have to be like slinging 
ribeyes at vegans over here. I think that we can have a conversation. This is what I was talking about with the the PETA thing, right? It's like we have to get into a space where we can defend our position and our personal experience with information that has a delivery that's impactful, but is not hateful, is not, um, I like to use the word myopic, meaning single-minded, right? And is open for discourse. Like I'm always open for conversation. I'm always looking to improve and dig deeper and adjust and modify and grow. And if I wasn't, then, you know, I would be disappointed in myself as a clinician, as well as an individual that's a health seeker. Totally, totally. And so, you know, getting a little bit deeper into that, let's talk about um, kind of meat as medicine focus. I know we just both unfollowed someone who does kind of do the keto carnivore bullying stuff. We won't name any yeah. names, but Kamora, is it Kamora? Right. What's that? What's the woman's name about this? Doesn't bring me joy. Oh, uh, Kunmari. We Kunmari'd our Instagram. <laughs> um, let's get in though. Yeah. And I, I can't like watch bullying on a daily basis. And like, people are like liking it and commenting and being like, yeah, get them. It's like, Hmm. That's a I think human. That, like, yeah. That person you highlighted maybe has a mental illness or an eating disorder, or yeah, maybe it is they're functionally low B12, which is interfering with their neurological function, but that doesn't mean that we should berate them and break them down for their appearance. So no, it's just being separate. It's not fair. Um, So let's talk though a little bit about um, keto carnivore and maybe like organ consumption and kind of some of the nutrients that we will see beyond... um, I guess we covered glycine and, and gelatin collagen already, but let's hit on some of that and then also hit on the mTOR argument and, and kind of some of the research on the influence of protein. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, getting back to this snout to tail approach is where we're going to get the most nutrient density of B vitamins, as well as even antioxidants like CoQ10. Uh, we know that like in the, if we're consuming organs and diversity and we're having like adrenal gland, uh, with the animal, we're actually even getting vitamin C, which is like a limited argument for mm-hmm. the carnivore approach. Uh, so there, there is a lot of nutrient density and taking that middleman, allowing them to do the work to break down the anti-nutrients is, is definitely a strong argument for why meat is medicine and, uh, the biological compounds that we can get from animal product. I think there's all those unique compounds that we've already mentioned. Yeah. Gelatin, collagen, uh, looking at immunoglobulins, also like anandamide, right? Which is in the endocannabinoid system. It's made from arachidonic acid. So as we convert omega-6s, which we've been told again, in one mindset are quote unquote bad, there's a balance to everything in the body, right? You want an omega-3, omega-6 ratio. You don't want to eliminate omega-6 fatty acids. Uh, You want to eliminate the source of industrialized you know, vegetable oils as your omega-6s, which are going to be oxidized, but there's health supporting compounds from the animal product of red meat actually supporting and interacting with our endocannabinoid system and giving us a bliss response. Uh, So there's just so much that I think we're just starting to kind of tap again with nutritional sciences and just comparing a nutrient doesn't take out the anti-nutrient, just comparing a nutrient doesn't take in the bioavailability of that nutrient and just comparing a nutrient doesn't take into account the other synergy of compounds that we're yet to even discover. That's kind of my big thing on that. So mTOR is an argument that we see 
as a a anti-protein, you know, uh, argument. I nerded out about this in a blog after we did a piece on a bone broth fast. So uh, bone broth fast is also an approach that I'll use with like inflammatory bowel disease, or you and I have both used this like quote unquote recreationally, (laughs) like that after a weekend of just overconsumption across the board, even if you still stay paleo or, you know, still stay gluten-free, if you had higher amounts of calories, just higher amounts of frequency of eating or whatever your norm is and you deviated from a bone broth fast can be a great reset button. And um, of course, with a bone broth fast, you're getting a lot of these supportive nutrients. Now, mTOR is often, you know, demonized because the influence of protein, like a high protein diet could increase mTOR activation. And, you know, that could interfere with that. That's anabolic, if you will. And so that's going to interfere with um, the body regulating tumor activity and the body's fasting capabilities. So the autophagy process and, and what have you. But when we've looked into research on mTOR, really the higher association of increase is associated with insulin response. So insulin response is significantly higher from carbohydrates and refined sugar as opposed to protein intake. So amino acids, yes, have some influence on mTOR expression, but substantially less than a high carbohydrate or refined sugar diet. So not really much of an argument, it doesn't sound like. Well, I mean, I said in one of my blogs, something on like glutamate and uh, you'll have to look at the blog for the number, but I want to say like 30 grams of L-glutamine, you know, is what was used to kind of tip the scale. And if you look at even like my GI lining support, if I'm really working with like leaky gut, I might put someone on three scoops, which it's less than three grams per scoop right? So it's like nine grams in a heavy mega dose of L-glutamine in like a therapeutic approach. And animal product is not that high either. So again, when we see these studies that say like glutamine feeds cancer, it's like, well, because I get that all the time, don't you? Mm -hmm. You know, chemo or post-radiation and we're like recommending bone broth or even L-glutamine with DGL to repair ulcerations. There's a lot of fear factor and mongering that comes from these persuasive arguments that really aren't clinically sound or relevant in in a day-to-day diet consumption. Totally. So you're comparing super high dosage to, you know, low to moderate found in foods. And then even in a supplemental form, you're never going to get to 30 grams. You'd have to take 10 scoops of GI lining and you'd be pretty much out of your tub by (laughs) a week in or something. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So um, let's have a word from our mid-roll sponsor, Further Food, actually, a very timely one. Yes. One <laughs> of animal-based products. So Further Food started as a collagen and gelatin company using grass-fed, pasture-raised, and wild-caught non-GMO hormone-free and antibiotic-free sourced beef, as well as they have a wild-caught collagen. Yes. And we love working with Ashley and her team, and they've Beyond the um, collagen and gelatin, they've also expanded their line to include some superfood powders. So a um, mindful matcha that incorporates 
wheatgrass and ginger, as well as their turmeric tonic, which brings in some adaptogens and has some really nice flavors that can be used in like a turmeric latte or something like that. And I know I've been using um, their gelatin as the weather gets colder and I'm doing more like thickened sauces and things like that. Um, using that quite a bit more in recipes. I don't know. Did you use it in your gravy this year, Allie? I did. Yep. I put gelatin in that and I've been using gelatin even in like the low carb, uh, chocolate chip cookie recipe. I got that hack from Christina Kerp. Uh, she uses gelatin really. She's the one who was like, Oh no, use gelatin to thicken your sauces. Mm-hmm. Cause I was using girl root. Yep. And like, ooh, I get to actually one-up my nutrient density and avoid the cornstarch, <laughs> so double points. Uh, I've been using a lot more, and, and in the book, I have the avocado breakfast pudding, the matcha uh, gelatin lime pudding, which is fantastic, with blackberries on top. Love, love, love for their foods. I use their collagen every single day. And generally speaking, a couple of the other products like their turmeric tonic, mindful matcha and gelatin. So go on over to furtherfood.com, put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout and you will save 10% off and also let them know that you heard about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. Yes. I can't think of a better sponsor for this episode, honestly. (laughs) Okay. So do we want to pick apart the movie at all any further or shall we... Leave it alone. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. There's, there's just so much. Let's, um, let's leave it there and maybe go into a little bit of just the, the sustainability stuff and also maybe talking about some of these crappy processed products that are being pushed on us right now. That sounds good. So um, a really great resource for all of this is uh, Diana Rogers. I I have donated personally to her upcoming film project, which has now been like two years in the works. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I saw her again at Paleo FX this last year. It's called Sacred Cow. uh, And I think it was called for a while. It's the cow. It's the how, not the cow. Or that might just be something that they say often. Their tagline. Okay. I, I wrote it somewhere in these lengthy notes. It's not the cow, it's the how. Yeah. Yeah. And so it basically, what it seems like her project is all about, um, you know, her being a sustainable rancher herself, living on a large organic farm. We also have an episode with Diana Rogers. So we'll link that in the show notes uh, way back, like in the twenties, I'm thinking, uh, as she's a fellow RD, we were in a like entrepreneur group together. So she's doing some really cool work with her sustainable dish handle and this project, Sacred Cow. And she has really cool infographs. She's uh, pretty close with Rob Wolf. So I think he's doing a big component within the documentary as well. And it just breaks down a lot of the misinformation about like greenhouse gases. And what I continue to hear more and more is that greenhouse gas emissions are worse from flying or transportation than they are from livestock, which to me was new information as far as like of flying home for Thanksgiving versus how many weeks of consumption of animal product. Totally. And it's, it's pretty significantly worse too, especially when you look at the variants and and I'll leave this to the experts who have stats on this, but when you look at the variants of even, you know, grass fed versus conventionally raised, there's a pretty significant difference um, in the greenhouse gases and, and, you know, even looking at greenhouse gas sequestering and the potential, you know, net zero impact that grass fed can have. 
Yeah, that was something that was really cool when I went to Rome Ranch. So the owners of Epic Bar, they sold Epic Bar to General Mills, I think, three or four, maybe even five years ago now. Goodness, I was in Houston at the time because I remember being like, oh, no. And I think it was a win because now Epic Bars are in like all airports. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a when you sign a contract with integrity and you can make things happen and vote with your dollar, things come out positively. And one of their, their I guess, arrangements within the deal was that General Mills had to buy X amount of like land share. And I think it's either every five years or every something, they have to invest more into regenerative agriculture. So the husband and wife that sold off their company now owns Rome Ranch. I'm sure there's some part of owners, I don't know, but um, Rome Ranch is uh, regenerative agriculture and they have buffalo, they have pigs, they have chickens. I went there with Stella and Brady and we saw the buffalo migrate to a different area of land. And I know that that's something that Diana Rogers talks about as well is rotation within your grazers. And that's kind of one of the big things that can help with carbon sequestering is how we actually are supporting soil. Like we're actually farming, we're farming, regenerating our soil as the most important resource, maybe even, you know, more so of a concern than greenhouse gases themselves, because a lot of environmentalists say that there's like 60 harvests or less due to the level of soil degradation. And so basically we just have the land as like an empty anchor. There's not this symbiotic relationship where the root system is actually giving nutrients to the soil and the soil is giving back nutrients in exchange to the root and the roots themselves are having to seek in the ground. You know, we're just doing a really shallow scale approach of farming and a lot of monocropping and poor crop rotation. And this is literally sterilizing and killing our soil and soil microbe activity is something that really just takes years and years and years to develop. Totally. Yeah. That 60 harvests left. I was looking into it when I was putting together the show notes, it's based on, um, topsoil and apparently takes years to create even like one inch of topsoil with the right balance and the right microbes and all of that. But this is another place where the the argument of like taking away the livestock and just, you know, opting out of the system just doesn't work. Cause what are we going to do? Just, you know, plant more soy and corn and kill the soil more. Right. And, and that's that impact of the weight and the grazing and the distribution, the, the actual giving organic matter back through feces, which is often demonized. And that whole process, especially if it is more of a biodynamic farm uh, or, or has more of a cyclical approach to land management, that's when we get that regeneration. So something really cool to look into. And, and I think as a consumer, that's really a way we can vote with your dollar. And that's where I feel like I've been seeing the industrialized food system poop their pants, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like, oh, like now these meat meat eaters are getting wise. And oh, all these meat eaters, again, that was kind of my, with my quote of decentralizing. When you vote with your dollar and you shop locally and you buy produce that is grown, you know, regionally and you're supporting local ranchers and they're doing these types of farming practices, you're actually doing your best way to support the environment and also your local economy, your community and food security that vote with your dollar maintains the viability of our food system. 
And I, I think that that's something that we have to start discussing louder, stronger, and, and continuing to do. And my perspective is that the industrialized food system was like, crap, now all this undigestible food mm-hmm. that now aren't eating because they're all looking for grass-fed compliance, you know, now we got to figure out how to get these into something. Totally. Okay, we'll just people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like, where can we hide this crap? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's a big argument too, is that livestock consume a lot of, you know, non-food. A lot of the vegan argument is that like livestock eats the food that humans could eat that mm-hmm. could feed the planet. And I think a lot of the food that quote unquote food that's consumed, we are not able to convert into protein and use in the same way, be that we don't have multiple chambers in our GI tract. We digest completely differently, but also they're eating, you know, byproducts and a lot of inedible stuff like residues that, I mean, I'm hoping you never know all of the things, um, as we're going to get into right now, (laughs) all the things that aren't even quote unquote grass or generally recognized as safe Uh that are in vegan analog products. Uh So yeah, let's talk about where this stuff is going instead of into some of the cows. And I know we touched a little bit on the Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger, but I think it's worth ripping apart a little further. <laughs> yes, yes. So which one are we going to hit first? Um, let's do Beyond Meat because it's slightly less offensive. And I just like can't. Again, I was next to my dad today before I took him to the airport after my mom was in a separate conversation talking about this Ornish thing. And my dad, of course, in the middle of the football game, masculine stuff, right? Beyond Meat. I think it's Beyond Meat, right? That's at Burger King or whatever. I think so. so. Yeah. Yeah. But he looks at me and he's like, so Al's, what do you think about this? And I'm just like, what? Like <laughs> the fact that you're asking me really hurts my feelings. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not going to go back to vegan, you guys. So for all those who keep asking, it's Never mainly happened. just my mom. Uh-huh. It's not happening. <laughs> meat burger, the ingredients are as follows. Water, pea protein isolate, expeller pressed canola oil, refined coconut oil, rice protein, natural flavors, mm, cocoa butter, mung bean protein, methyl cellulose, potato starch, apple extract, salt, potassium chloride, vinegar, lemon juice concentrate, sunflower lecithin, pomegranate fruit powder, beet juice extract for color. And they're slightly less offensive. I think they're claiming non-GMO status of all those ingredients. So like a better than choice, but I think I just counted 17 ingredients as you were reading that. And then what it's cooked in Uh more industrialized oils, and then it's likely consumed in another processed product bun, which has, you know, bleached flour, (laughs) anti-nutrients, you know, gut disrupting gluten. (laughs) That's a fun phrase. (laughs) And so many other things, right? So uh, having the expeller pressed canola oil in the top three ingredients is concerning. You know, I have used pea protein as a vegan source Mm -hmm. of protein individuals that is usually the less offender, but now that there's such investments and it's blowing up, it's likely going to become a more refined product and it's isolated. So it's very far still from a whole food. Yeah, totally. At least they're using beet juice 
uh, in this one for color because the Impossible Burger does some really freaky stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we started to allude to a part of their website where they're actually taking it a step to the next level of being environmentally not friendly and advocating for GMOs and actually stating like, actually, it's because of GMOs that we can make this tasty, delicious, <laughs> impossible burger because it's impossibly food. Um, so we're talking about water, soy protein concentrate, coconut oil, sunflower oil, natural flavors as ambiguous listed in the top four. And then we're looking at 2% or less of potato protein, methyl cellulose, yeast extract, cultured dextrose, food starch modified, as opposed to modified food starch. I wonder mm. what's up with that. <laughs> Soy ligemoglobin, ligoglobin. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like a legume. Yeah, but they're, oh, it's freaky. It's super freaky. I'll get into it in a second. But that's how they like make it bleed like meat. Yeah. <laughs> That's a GMO ingredient. Uh-huh. Soy protein isolate mixed to cofferols as a preservative, zinc gluconate, thiamine hydrochlorides. They're adding nutrients in synthetic forms to re-enrich. Yep. So like 20 plus ingredients if you count the nutrients that they add to it. And yeah, we, we were cracking up over their description of genetic engineering as an essential part of their mission and product. Um, Well, that'll stop me right there, dead in my tracks. (laughs) We've always embraced the responsible, constructive use of genetic engineering to solve critical environmental health, safety, and food security problems, and have long advocated for responsible use of this technology in the food system. Technology and food system don't belong together. No, we wouldn't no. be able to make a product that rivals or surpasses beef on flavor, texture, nutrition, sustainability, vers- versatility, and accessibility without it. Well, why don't you just eat beef and then you wouldn't have to worry about doing that? <laughs> so let's talk about that hemoglobin, yeah. the magic molecule that makes this impossible burger taste like meat. And it makes it taste like meat and it makes it bleed. And to my knowledge, it's some kind of soy derivative, but you know, a patented like bioengineered protein additive, and it gives it that flavor and color like meat. But I was shocked to find out that it actually does not meet basic FDA grass requirements, which we've talked about even things that are generally recognized as safe, like you and I don't uh, consider that a stamp of approval of something we would eat, but it was not able to meet that basic standard because it's not a food and it's not a food ingredient. Um, And the FDA documents state that there wasn't adequate safety testing, but they still put it on the market despite that, which is so scary. Oh my gosh. And then the fact that they actually state that they source, you know, from genetically engineered soy protein, you know, farms in the Midwest, Iowa, Minnesota, and Illinois. So when we're talking about GMO soy, which again, this is the second ingredient after Mm -hmm. water, basically beyond this weird, freaky ingredient, like that's maybe number 12 or something on the list, which plays this weird bleed, like flavor texture thing. Soy protein concentrate is the majority of the burger mass, which is GMO, which means when soy is GMO, it's Roundup Ready soy, which means beyond, again, this weird chemical structure DNA thing, 
that there is high amounts of glyphosate residue, which is a known neurotoxin. And now, you know, we've seen actually Monsanto get sued for causation of cancer in individuals that have worked with this chemical compound. So that's extremely concerning. And that's why I'm saying it's like, I'm not trying to be this like paranoid weirdo here. I really feel there's some conspiracy shit (laughs) (laughs) of like big pharma and the industrialized food system trying to dupe us, you know, into eating these quote unquote healthier products that are adding compounds that don't belong in the human body to begin with. So the argument of comparing soy in itself to beef is one thing when there's enough going on there, then GMO soy and advocating for it is a whole nother arena. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's freaky. It's like a twilight zone thing. Like, is this really happening? (laughs) It totally is. And then there's that just egg stuff, which I can't even, I mean, that's the one that I'm always talking to vegans about like, but what if, you know, you, you understand that when you eat eggs, that when there's no rooster, there's no chicks, Mm -hmm. like you're not, not like Becky's Vietnam experience. Eating <laughs> right? Yep, that's what happened. <laughs> but it's totally not like that. Nope. But yeah, you know, it's like no, you're you're not stealing any chick's life. This is an egg that's released just like you ovulate. You know, it's an egg that's released that's non fertilized. That's a byproduct, and uh, it's if you have your own chickens that can be living their best life. So just egg is water, mung bean, protein, isolate, expeller pressed, again, canola oil, uh, calcium citrate, gel and gum, carrot um, extract for color, other natural flavors. There's some turmeric for color, uh, onion puree, soy lecithin, uh, tetrasodium pyrophosphate, and then other preservatives, which are actual antimicrobials like niacin and potassium sorbate, which can interfere with your gut microbiome. Like why? Gross. And that's literally to replace a single ingredient, which is an egg. I can't believe they get away with calling it just egg because that's like 15 ingredients. And and what's more is like the stuff you're missing out on that we discussed. So the choline, the B vitamins, the omega-3s, all of the things that you're not getting in this nasty product. And and it totally brings it back full circle to your radio interview and the suggestion that you could just, oh, just sub out the egg in these muffins for an egg substitute and just leave out the bacon. It's like, what's the freaking point? And not only are these foods delicious, which they are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they can be sourced sustainably, and they not only provide more nutrient density of these compounds that the vegetarian forms try to make up for, but again, they had these unique, you know, structured compounds. I hate to use the word compounds again. It's late night. Sorry, guys. But (laughs) just can't replace. And, And it's like when I talk about breast milk versus formula, you know, and it's like, okay, so now they're adding probiotics to, to formula. Great. Are they adding CBD? Cause there's CBD in mm-hmm. breast milk just next year. It's going to be on the market, but what is different than what is endogenous or produced in the body or produced by an animal versus what can be done in a facility to try to mimic what an animal as the machine does totally not on the same playing field. Yeah. You can't make up for the natural synergy, I think is kind of the bottom line, right? 
Um, and I was poking around on the Just Egg website just to <laughs> a final thought on them. They had a tab called Meet. And at first I was like, wait, this is weird because it was like a video playing when you clicked into it of a Japanese Wagyu beef farm. And I was like, huh, this is either inconsistent with their message or I'm not getting something. And I, I kind of clicked around and realized that they're talking about cultivated lab meat. So using cell culture from animals, from Wagyu beef and making it in a lab. It's not on the market yet, but it seems that it's on its way. Yeah. So like if anything, I'm I'm hoping that (laughs) today's episode, not geeky science, hopefully this is a little mind massage ease, but maybe frustrating and provoking in the sense that we have to take seriously. If we're using food as medicine, we need to vote with our dollars. We need to maintain a pharmacy from our farmers, from our ranchers, from our actual local fish purveyors. We need to maintain the sustainability of and, and food security of access to whole real foods. And that means being an omnivore. That means being a conscious omnivore. It means thinking about what you put in your mouth and questioning what's been done to it since harvest, how many of its parts that are digestible have been removed, how many additives have been put into this, and what are you replacing it for? Is there a simpler option that could be more whole food based that your great grandmother would have eaten in replacement, case in point, lard in the pie crust, right, type thing. So I digress. I hope today's episode was helpful. If you guys enjoyed it, uh, go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review with a sentence of why you loved it. Uh, this is a great time, even if you're listening to this post-dated, to jump into the 10-day real food detox. A great way to just reframe, again, what you're consuming, what you are purchasing on a weekly basis, what you're providing for your household, and really getting back into a reset point. So check out the uh, under Books and Programs tab, 10-day real food detox, and consider that as a part of your process as well. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.